0: Okay, we're in Lesson 33. Lesson 33, we're looking at the sayings of the wise. We're in the second part of that. We'll have one more week in the sayings of the wise. Now, let me ask you a question. Who are the wise? Anybody remember from last week, who are the wise? Did you say believers, Bruce? Yeah, okay. Uh, Not necessarily. Anybody else? Who are the wise? Okay, they're stages. Okay, wise men. Is it Solomon? No, no, it isn't Solomon. So these are sayings of wise men who maybe were contemporaries or before Solomon that he gathered these Proverbs. So he gathered them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and placed them in this book of Proverbs. So that's what we're looking at here. And in particular, what we're looking at is 30 sayings of the wise. And last week we looked at sayings 1 through 10. Today, we're going to look at sayings 11 through 26. We're going to look at sayings 11 through 26, and then we're going to look at the rest of the 30 next week, as well as some additional sayings from the wise. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these verse by verse, and again, glean some wisdom for ourselves. So, look with me at verse 12, it's kind of a pause after the first 10, and notice now Again, an introductory statement to this next section. And notice now what uh, the writer is saying. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. So here's the point I want you to see. And again, this is key for all of us here, is that we are to apply our hearts to instruction and listen carefully to knowledge. Over and over throughout the book of Proverbs, you're going to see... That the book, the Proverbs are going to call you and I to continually learn as much as we can, to gain wisdom as much as we can, and apply it to our lives. See, it, it, in fact, let me just say it this way. In fact, the Scripture wants you and I to be wise, so we, it wants us to gain knowledge, but not just gain it, it wants us to apply it. Does everybody understand me? It wants you to apply the knowledge. Because what happens if you just gain knowledge and you don't do anything with it? Okay, uh, Rob says you're crunching God's spirit. I heard some mumbling back here. It doesn't do you any good. Okay, so you have a lot of wisdom, but you don't apply it. It doesn't do you any good. That's good, Mabel. Anybody else? Yeah, you won't be able to help others. You won't be able to even help yourself. If you have a lot of wisdom and you know what to do, but you don't apply it to your life, you're in a bad situation. So let's then notice now what the 11 sayings, these next uh, few sayings are. Let's look at saying number 11. We look at verses 13 through 14. And notice what it says there. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod. And deliver his soul from hell. Okay, so here's a couple of points I want you to see here. Here's what the saying of the wise is saying. And this is the sayings of the wise that really need to be heard today. So here's the point. Children need discipline. Children need discipline. That's just a simple point. You know, even if you discipline them, notice something. He said, You're not they're not going to die. We say, well, what about that guy that I heard... Okay, there are extremes, but we're not talking about the extremes. Most of us don't discipline in the extreme. Those folks need to go to jail, okay, because there's something more going on there. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do you understand what I'm saying? The issue is is that children need discipline. I'm going to be honest with you. I remember me as a kid, I needed to get discipline. How about you? Some of you are shaking your head, yeah. Yeah, you know, what, and did you die? I know you wished you would have, but you didn't. And here's the thing. Here, listen, here's the reason why. This is why they need discipline. Because the punishment will actually deliver them from a physical death, not cause death. The punishment will actually deliver him from a physical death and not cause his death. Now you say, wait a minute now. How is my disciplining a six-year-old going to deliver him from death? How's that going to happen? Well, remember now, the purpose of discipline is to what? Mold character. The purpose of discipline, if you want to write that down in your margin, write that down in your margin of your notes. Discipline is not your reaction to a child. Although sometimes you discipline because of that. That's a wrong reason. It's a wrong reason to discipline. Your discipline of a child is to mold their character. And when you discipline them in the younger years, cuz I'll be honest with you, when they hit the teenage years, how much harder is it to discipline them? How much harder is it to mold their character when they hit the teenage years? Yeah, it's a whole lot harder. See, it's a lot it's easier for you to discipline them in the younger years, mold their character there. Because when you get to the older years, you're dealing with some different issues. They're dealing with identity issues. They're dealing with who they are. They're dealing with wanting to sow their own. Okay, then when they get to the 18 mark and they leave home, how much can you do then? Yeah, hardly nothing. So that by that point, if their character is not molded in the right direction, it's very possible that they could involve themselves in activities or things that will ultimately cause their what? You know, a premature death. See, what you're doing is is you're trying to save them from a premature physical death. See, discipline is important. Look now at the saying of the wise, the twelfth saying we see in verses 15 through 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my inmost being, will rejoice. When your lips speak right things. Okay, now here's the next thing. Children, by making wise choices, bring joy to their parents. Children, by making wise choices, bring joy to their parents. In fact, I want you to think about it for a moment. Let's take uh, Bubba and Billy. Let's say Bubba, he doesn't listen to his parents he starts getting involved in things that he shouldn't be getting involved in. He gets arrested. He gets thrown into county jail for a little bit. What's his mama gonna think? Is she gonna be happy? Is that gonna bring joy to her heart? No, what is she going to, what's she gonna feel? Yeah, disappointment, sadness, shame. But when you take Billy now, Billy makes the right choices. Billy's got a good job. Billy gets married. Billy has a wonderful wife. Billy's doing the right thing with his kids. And maybe every once in a while, you know, his face is in the paper because he's coaching Little League. And his mama's reading the paper. And there's Billy's face right there coaching Little League. What's she thinking? Must have done something right is what Deanna said. What are you saying, Louise? Pride? You know, you feel pride? Joy. See, okay, notice something. I want you to notice now. This twelfth saying is right next to the eleventh saying. This twelfth saying, these verses are right after the saying about discipline. Why do you think they're connected? You think they're connected? Yes, the discipline lays a foundation for later on. Because again, remember now, over and over in, in, in the book of Proverbs, you're going to see that it's going to be very obvious that when it says that a wayward son is a shame to the mother. Why? Because what the actions of the child reflect upon who? Who? Parent. Now, isn't that interesting? Because in our society, when we arrest somebody, somebody will say, well, code my mama. You ever heard that? Code my daddy. Isn't that what our society says about responsibility? You know, actually, there's a half-truth there. Did you know there's a half-truth there? We look at it and say, well, you're just not assuming responsibility. You want to blame it on somebody. Well, yeah, they maybe want to blame it on somebody, but I'll be honest with you. There is a little bit of truth in what they're saying. It's because their mama and their daddy didn't what? Discipline them. They didn't mold their character. See, it's so important for us to mold character, isn't it? Mold character. character. Okay, look at uh, verses 17 through 18. We're going to look at the next saying. 17 through 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So notice now, here's what it's saying. Wanting to do... What sinners do is senseless because they have no hope. Wanting to do what sinners do is senseless because they have no hope. See, isn't it interesting for us as Christians, we look at the world around us and we envy what they have and what they're doing. But here's what Proverbs does. Proverbs brings it all back into perspective from the perspective of wisdom and says, look, it's senseless for you and I to envy them because they don't have any hope. They don't have a hope for the future. In fact, in fact they're living like there is no what? God. Do you ever notice that? They're living like there is no God. They're living like today's possibly the what? The last day. Would you and I as Christians should, especially today on Easter, have a perspective in which there is what? There is a tomorrow. There is life after death. And there is a sense in which I'm going to stand before God. And so what he's saying here is, look, don't wanting to do what sinners do is senseless. They don't have any hope. Because here, here, listen, here's the next point. The immediate pleasure of sin cannot compare with the ultimate hope in the Lord. The immediate pleasure of sin, and let me just be honest with you, it's only immediate and only for the moment. Sin, the pleasure of sin is only immediate and only for the moment, but it's never satisfying. Never satisfying. It can't compare ultimately with the hope that we have in Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? It can't compare with that. See, I think, can I be honest with you, the reason why so many of us struggle in our spiritual lives and our Christian lives is because we've forgotten something. We've forgotten what it is that awaits us. We're so focused on here and now and what we want now that we've forgotten that really it's all meaningless. There's greater pleasures coming what? Later. Later. In fact, do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And what's paradise? What's the definition of paradise? Yeah, heaven. Okay, Tom says heaven. What's the definition of paradise? Anybody, when you think of paradise, don't give me a spiritual theological answer. What do you think of when you think of paradise? Everything's great, everything's fantastic. Endless supplies of deer with big racks running by. Is that right? Oh, the Bahamas. Okay. All right. We got, you know, we're so focused on now. And listen, let's be honest with you. Let's, let's, let's just admit it. Let's admit it to ourselves. When we do what's wrong, there may be pleasure for the moment, but does it satisfy? What does it do? Guilt, shame. What else? Emptiness. Emptiness, in fact, if anything, we, we do the things because we are empty, but when we do them, we end up becoming more empty. Did you ever notice that? Trapped. Bondage. Now, look Now look at verse 19. Here's a, again, the, the writer is pausing, and he wants us to pay attention to these sayings. So, look with me at what he says in verse 19. He says this. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guard your heart in the way. So notice something. A believer a believer is to listen, to be wise, and to keep his decisions right. That's what a believer is supposed to do. In fact, listen, I think it's interesting that right after he talks to us about not envying what the lost are doing, because they have no hope, and having a focus on the eternal rather than on the temporal, he then moves over into verse 19 now, and he says, listen to me. Apply it to your life. See, he's he's giving an emphasis here, not just about what he's about to say, he's giving an emphasis to you and I on what he just said. He's giving an emphasis to you and I on what he just said. And you and I need to listen to them, because it'll be detrimental to you. It'll be detrimental. Let me, let me explain something. There, there is, in our community here, and maybe it's in every community, but maybe it's because I'm pastor here and I'm sensitive here. There, there is a conventional wisdom going around in our community here, and I see it happening all the time, that, you know what? Your relationship with your spouse isn't going well. You just dump her. You just dump him. You can find somebody else. And so guess what? People are doing that. They're just dumping each other. So guess what though? We're created to be relational beings. And so there's this need within all of us to be what? With someone. So now they've dumped this person because it's hard to be with that person and work through the stuff. Let me just stop for a moment. Marriage is tough. And you've got to work through stuff. Honeymoon only lasts for a little bit. So what happened? You dump them. So now you're going to look for somebody else. But I'll be honest with you. The people when you get older who are out there are either, they're divorced. And so they they, they didn't deal with the stuff then either. And they dumped. So the two of you dumpers are going to get together. you, you know what I'm saying? And then you're going to try and make it work again. And that's why it's not uncommon to find people who are in our area who are married two, three times, four. That's, here's the thing. That's what the world, that's what our culture is communicated Just stop them. Now, yeah, that's conventional wisdom, but that's not wisdom, is it? You don't, you don't realize how many people I have talked to who have gotten divorced who will say, oh, I wish I had my first spouse back. See, all it takes is just to work through it a little bit. See, because the sayings, you got to pay attention to the sayings. You've got to pay attention to the wisdom. Don't envy what's out there. Don't envy what's out there. Okay, now look at the 14th saying. We're going to look here, verse 20 and 21. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Okay, here's the point. Those who associate with drunks and gluttons will become poor. Those who associate with drunks and gluttons will become poor. Now, why do you think he's saying that? That's exactly right, Tom. Yes, that's true. Where's the money going? Yeah, do you see what I'm saying? this is the point he's saying here, to associate with them is you're going to become poor. Why? Because the money is going where? For the addiction. See, my point I want you to see is Proverbs are giving us some wisdom here and they're telling us, look, you hang out and if you are, you're going to be poor. You're going to wonder, where did all that money go? And here's what, you ever ever notice what happens with those folks? Is they don't blame themselves, they blame others. My boss isn't paying me enough. Have you heard that one? They're probably the top employee in the company getting the biggest salary, and their boss isn't paying them enough. Why? Because they're actually spending it, and they don't know where they spend it. See, that's the point. Let's, Let's go on now. The 15th saying. Let's look here. This is for all of us here, even for us who are older and who still have parents. Listen to verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Now some of you are looking around at your children here. Okay. Listen to what he's saying here. Why the wise counsel of parents should be heeded. Listen, just because I left my home at 19, does not mean that I should not listen to my mother. You know, just because Lori married me, does not mean she should not listen to the counsel of her parents. In fact, here, it's an interesting thing. I will oftentimes call her dad up and ask his advice about stuff. Why? Because he's in his 60s, I'm in my 40s. He's stomped around this earth a whole lot longer than I have. And so there are some things he's just playing a lot more wiser about than I am. You see my point? That's the whole point he's wanting to say here: is the wise counsel of parents should be heeded. So you say, when should I quit listening to them? When they go home? Well, they're at home, not that home. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? When they go home. Now, okay, let me just stop for a moment. It's, remember now, Proverbs are general statements. Because you say, well, I don't want to listen to my advice of my mom because every time she tells me something, it's always wrong. But just remember, they're general statements. Okay, so don't say, well, Pastor George says I need to listen to them. Well, in a sense, you do. You need to respect them, even in their old age. Look at the 16th saying now, verses 23 to 25. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. And let her who bore you rejoice. Okay, notice now what he's saying here. One who acquires truth and gains wisdom pleases God and his parents. I, don't need to, I think I don't need to go over this again. We already talked about this a little bit. But if you're going to acquire wisdom, if you're going to apply it to your life, you are going to be pleasing to who? Now, to your parents. You're even going to be pleasing not just to your parents, but you're going to be pleasing to who else? But your grandparents. See, they're going to to take pride in you. You ever notice the family gatherings? You know, family gatherings, you know, and I know reunions are a big thing around here. But you go to reunions, I've been to reunions, and you'll hear people, and, and they're always bragging about who? Kids. The kids who are doing what? Now, let's say if they've got a kid who's not doing right, do they talk out loud about them? No, they're like, they're whispering. Why? Shame. That's exactly right. It's shame. This is the whole point here. One who acquires truth and gains wisdom pleases God and his parents. Let's go on now, uh, the next saying, verses 26 through 28. My son, give me your heart, let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim, and increases the unfaithful among men. So notice something here now. Here's what he's saying. It's imperative to follow the sage's warning because sexual sin is lurking. Pay attention over and over in Proverbs. He's going to make the point to you and I that there is a price to be paid to go off into the issue of sexual sin. There's a price to be paid. And and listen, can I be honest with you? Sexual sin is different than any other kind of sin because I know Jesus forgives. But the consequences are a lot more... They're, they're different. They affect you differently. It's a spiritual sin. We know all the way if you go over to Corinthians, sex is a spiritual act. The two becoming one. It's a spiritual thing. And I want you to notice something here. Look at that last part of that last verse there when you look at verse 28. And notice what it says. And increases the unfaithful among men. Sexual sin will increase the unfaithful. That is, sexual sin really deals with the heart of who a person is and it causes that person to be unfaithful. So, for instance, we have a lot of politicians who are getting caught these days doing things or admitting to things that they shouldn't be in, been doing in sexual, sexually and so forth. Can you trust that person? Oh, he's just doing his job. He did a great job. Should be able to trust him, don't you think? That doesn't affect their job, does it? Does it? Yeah, it does affect their job. Why? Because if you can't be faithful to the vow to your spouse, what makes you think they're going to be faithful to you? They don't even know you. You know, you're just the vote. See, that's the whole point he's saying here. Sexual sin increases the unfaithful, in general statement, the unfaithful among men. And men there is a, is a term used for humanity. It's people you can't trust. Let's go on now. Uh, verse, uh, verse 29 through 35. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger long at the wine, those who are in search of mixed wine? Do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will other perverse things. Yes, you will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When, When I shall awake, that I may seek another drink. Here's the point I want you to see now. This is a big section, and here's the point. One should avoid the temptation to excessive drinking. This is a great section. I mean, when you read, because I grew up with an alcoholic, I can resonate with what it's saying here. The whole point is, is that when you talk about being drunk or given to drunkenness or being an alcoholic, you can relate to what it's saying here because, number one, your eyes will see strange things. Too much drink it affects your seeing. You'll say things. Notice notice what the Necroft there says. Your heart will utter perverse things. Have you ever heard the statement that drink will loosen lips? You know, all we have to do is just get a few in him and they'll tell us what we need to know. And that's true because your, your, your reasoning power goes so you begin to say things that shouldn't be said. See, drink causes you to say things you shouldn't say. And notice something there. The last part of verse 35 says, When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? They're looking for the what? The next what? Drink. He's describing an alcoholic here. And so one should avoid the temptation to excessive drinking. Here's the reason why. It leads to trouble when the senses are dull. It leads to trouble when the senses are dull. Look at verses 1 and 2 now. Of chapter 24. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Here's the point. One should not envy or desire the company of evil men. Again, don't look at what others have. Don't look at what the lost have and say, "Man, I wish I was like them. I wish I worked there. Don't desire that. So you're getting your focus off what it should be on and focusing it on the temporal. But the reality is is that when you look at the destiny of where those men are, it's wrong. It's not not good. Look now at verses 3 and 4. Through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Here's the point. The use of wisdom is essential for building a home. Now here, we're not talking about contracting. Although, yes, there are some guys who need wisdom in their building. Right, Bruce? Okay. Right, Rod? You probably have seen some guys who had no wisdom in building a home. But this is not, we're not talking about a structure here. What kind of home do you think we're talking about here? Family. You need to use wisdom in establishing your home or in guiding your home in your family. So here, here's what you need to be praying. Can I be honest with you? You and your wife or, or your future spouse or whatever, for those of you who are single here, you need to be praying, Lord, give me wisdom to establish my home. Give me wisdom. Because it's hard, isn't it? Parents, it's hard, isn't it? Because stuff will be thrown at you you don't know how to handle. Right? And you need wisdom. You need wisdom. And so that's the whole point of the passage there. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Verses 5 and 6. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of, man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. So here's the point I want you to see. Wise counsel is necessary for going to war. I think that's obvious. Isn't it true? You just don't want to go out there without any wisdom and wage war because you're not going to do well. Look at verse 7 now. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. Here's the point I want you to see. A fool cannot obtain wisdom. A fool cannot obtain wisdom. It's too high for him. He He can't handle it. First of all, he doesn't want it, and then it's like he can't understand it because his ways are foolish anyhow. Remember, what, what's the Bible described as a fool? An unsafe person. A scoffer, a mocker. Now, let's go on. Look now with me at verses 8 and 9. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer, and the devising of foolishness is sin, And the scoffer is an abomination to men. So here's the point I want you to see. The public disapproves of wicked men who plot evil things. The public disapproves of evil men who plot evil things. We see that. it happens all the time. The, The general disdain of the community or of the public when they see men who are plotting to do what? Evil. You notice we don't hold those guys up, do we? You know, we don't hold those guys up. Okay, let's let's go on. We've got three more three more sections here to do. Look at verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Here's the point. Giving in to the pressure of trouble shows that a person's strength is limited. So you see a person who's always giving in no matter how, what even just slight pressure, they're just kind of fold, They just buckle. They just give in to it. That shows you that that person's strength is what? He's not strong. He doesn't have any strength. It's small. Okay, look now at verse 11 and 12. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Here's the point. God holds people responsible who have the power to save the perishing. There's a sense, can I be honest with you, it's a common thing around here. If I'm watching, me, I'm going to pick on somebody here. I'm going to pick on Sam today. If I'm watching Sam go into a destructive behavior, if I'm watching him go off in a way that he shouldn't go, and he's engaging in something that he shouldn't engage in, here's the common thing that we do today, especially in our churches around here. We'll do this. Well, it's really none of my business. I don't want to go nebbing. Is that a Pennsylvania term? Nebbing in Sam's business. I don't want to do that. So then we just kind of sit back and we'll watch Sam self-destruct. When it was in our power, in fact, we have a biblical mandate, to go to him and to what? Help him. And what Proverbs is saying here is, is that God holds you and I responsible when we don't rescue the parachute. There's a sense of responsibility there. There's a sense of responsibility. But see, our culture says, what? You don't want to go mingling in people's business because you mingle in their business. It always comes back on you. Isn't that true? How many of us have used that kind of thinking before? Let's be honest. Most of us have, haven't we? You know, those of you who are not raising your hand, you're not being honest. Let's look at the last thing, the 26th thing, verses 13 through 14. Notice with me, my son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. Here's the point I want you to see. One should develop wisdom because it, is, it has a profitable future. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Profitable future does not mean big, fat bank account. So I just want to qualify that. But what it means is, is that your prospect for the future will be better because you apply wisdom. You gain wisdom. All right. Now, next week, we're going to finish up the sayings of the wives and look at some additional sayings that are just there. And uh, we'll look at that next week. OK, let's uh, close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.